Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning, everybody. So keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land. They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libertations of blood and such, to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen. Thanks, uh, thanks Monique, uh, for, for sharing that and, and reading, the, reading Psalm 16 for us there. Good morning, everyone. It's great that you could join with us uh, here uh, this morning. Uh, I, I'm sure for lots of us over this lockdown period, one of the things we've done is, um, I'm sure we've been there, uh, watching lots of stuff on Netflix and Prime and lots of different streaming uh, services. And a few weeks ago, uh, I, I watched a, a documentary on Netflix, which was really good. It was about the life of, of Bobby Robson, the former England football manager. Really, really good. I recommend it. Uh, it, the documentary looked at all the football teams he's managed in his career, looked at the success he's had and, and just how respected he was pretty much by everyone in the game. And then it went on to look at, at how he sadly got cancer and, and tragically well, he died in 2009 at the age of, of 76. But right at the end of the documentary, they, they interviewed his wife and, uh, and she said something that just made me quite sad, actually. She said this, she said, Bobby didn't believe in God uh, and actually he was kind of angry right at the end at the injustice of his life being cut short by, by cancer. He felt he had many more years left. Anyway, here, was a, here was a man who'd, who'd achieved so much in life, but rather than get to the end of it and feel satisfaction, he actually felt a bit angry, which I just felt was really sad. And you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes I think uh, to myself, if I live to be an old man, when I look back on my life, will I be happy with how I've lived it or, or will I have regrets? And, uh, and what I want to talk about this morning um, is really to do with this. It's how to live life well, how to live a life that when you look back on it, you can be happy, you can be satisfied with how you've lived and what you've done. 
And you know, the key, I think, to living life well can be found in Psalm 16, which we're going to look at this morning. Psalm 16 uh, was written by David, King David, uh, when he was going through a tough time in life, possibly when he was on the run from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. So what can David teach us from this psalm in terms of living well? Well, Psalm 16 shows us that the primary way to live life well is to trust in God. That may come as no surprise to us really here at church on a Sunday. The primary way to live life well is to trust in God, which we see in verses one to eight of our passage. If you've got your Bible open, you can look down at that. You know, you can tell who who or what you trust um, in life by what you do when times get tough. You can tell who or what you trust in life by what you do when times get tough. You know, one of the ways I know my three-year-old son trusts me is because when we're in the park and uh, he sees a dog running towards him, and he's scared of dogs, he comes running to me, not someone else. That's one of the ways I know that he trusts me. And similarly, in this psalm, David shows who he's trusting by who he goes to when tough times come. He goes to God, and that's why he writes this psalm in the first place. He's going to God in a time of trouble. In verse 1 of the psalm, he says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Now, this is, is actually the only request David makes in the whole psalm, but, but the fact that he is making it to the Lord shows who he trusts. In verse 2, David continues, he says this, I, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So David here is not just trusting God for safety, like he does in verse one, but also for what he has in life. And, you know, it's so easy for us in life to to look at our possessions, our our house and car and think, I've earned these, you know, I've worked for these. But, But trusting God means knowing that, but for him, you'd have nothing. You know, he's the one who's giving you the skills, the talent, the intellect to earn the money to get these things in the first place. But for him, you'd have nothing. Verses three and four, then David continues. He says this, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood, which basically means drink offerings. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. And pretty much what David seems to be saying here is that he He delights in the noble ones, meaning possibly the priests at the time. He is delighting in them. But that some of them seem to have run after other gods and are making offerings to them. And he's saying, I'm not going to do that. Okay, I'm not going to do that. Now, you might be thinking, okay, making offerings to other gods, bad idea. I know that. Uh, But, you know, don't we often do the same thing? You know, don't we often run after other gods? You know, the god of success the God of financial security, the God of a happy family. And and we make offerings to them. You know, we work longer hours at work. We strive for promotion. We overparent our kids. And and when our gods don't deliver, we get bitter. And David here is saying, you want to live life well, then put your trust, not in these things, but in God. Put your trust in God. You know, I um, I was talking to someone on Thursday there who was, who was telling me, that their dad uh, had died a, a few years ago and, and completely cut him out of any inheritance. His other two brothers got everything. And as we sharing this, I, I felt kind of sad for him. But, but he said, you know, I actually don't mind. You know, I, I've got God. 
I've got my health, I've got my children, I'm happy, it doesn't bother me. And I was thinking, what a great attitude to have. Well, in verses five to six of our passage, we see David say something similar. He, he says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And he's saying here that, that he doesn't trust in his inheritance from his earthly father, because he probably isn't going to get very much because he's the youngest son. But he says he trusts that God himself is his inheritance. God himself is his hope. God himself is his security. That's what he's trusting in. Not the fact that he may get a big piece of land sometime in the future. No, he's trusting in God for his inheritance. Which then leads him to say in verses 7 and 8, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart counsels me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And you know, such an important element of trusting God um, is, is keeping our eyes on him which I think means thinking about him more and more, thinking about who he is, his character and his promises, having that at the forefront of our mind. I think that's what keeping our eyes fixed on him is all about. You know, um, something my mom used to say to me, um, a lot in my kind of mid to late teens was this. She used to say, Andrew, she'd always call me Andrew, not Andy. Andrew, you always land on your feet. You always land on your feet. And it was normally after something had just unexpectedly gone my way in life. You know, I'd, I'd done well in an exam that I hadn't done much work for, or I'd get picked for a school sports team that I wasn't even trying to get picked for. And, and when my mum used to say this, I'll be honest, I never really paid much attention. I was just like, yeah, whatever. Now, fast forward to the present day. I, I'm now 34, still, just about still 34. Um, Elizabeth and I, we've been married for nine years. And... Um, I'll be honest, there's been a few times, particularly in the early years of our marriage, when we were pretty skint. You know, we didn't have much money. Elizabeth was still at uni. I was, I was working a pretty low-paid job, and we struggled to make ends meet. And at those times, Elizabeth in particular would often get a bit worried about our finances. And when she did, what we'd do is we, we'd have a good chat about it, which often helped. But each time we'd have one of these chats, I'd almost always finish it by saying, saying this, don't worry, Elizabeth. You know, believe it or believe it or not, this is what I used to say. Don't worry, Elizabeth, you're with me. And as my mom says, I always land on my feet. Now, I was half joking when I said that. But when I think back about it, actually half not joking. And as I've been thinking about that this week, I've realized that back then, I'd, I'd come to believe that I do always land on my feet, or half believe it anyway. And that actually... That was kind of a sign that I wasn't actually trusting in God, but I was actually trusting in myself at that time. Now, back then, I didn't know I was trusting in myself. You know, I was a Christian. I thought I was trusting God. I was singing the right songs, praying the right prayers, listening to good sermons. But when you dug beneath the surface, I was trusting in myself and my own abilities, but I didn't know it. Now, the reason I say this is because it's, it's easy to listen to a sermon like this and think, yeah, 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 the key to living a life well is trusting in God. I do that. But I just want to ask, do we really? I mean, is he the first place you go to when you have a problem? You know, is he the one you rely on for provision? Really? You know, and it pains me to say this, but I think for many of us, if we're honest, we probably trust God a bit. 
Some of us maybe a bit more than others, but we probably trust God a bit. But you know, I really do believe the extent to which you grow in your trust of God is the extent to which you will live this life well. It's got nothing to do with wealth. It's got nothing to do with avoiding hardship. The extent to which you grow in your trust of God is the, the thing that will determine how well you live this life. Honestly believe that. So big question, how do we grow in our trust of God? Well, prayer is, is one way to grow in our trust of God. I think it's the primary way. And that's what David was doing here in this psalm, praying to God. And, you know, for me, I find spending time in prayer helps me trust God more because the more time I spend with him, the more I get to know him. And the more I get to know him, the more I trust him. It's a real simple equation, but it works. Spend time with him. You get to know him more. You will trust him more. But, you know, often we grow most in our trust of God when, when what we have been previously trusting in gets taken away. You know, you might lose your job, like, like many people have done through this pandemic. And, and I think that's why so many people have actually turned to God during lockdown. Or perhaps you'll get ill and, uh, and lose your health and your ability to do things. Or, or perhaps you lose a loved one. Or, uh, and it, often it's, it's in these times when what we've been trusting in gets taken away that we really grow in our trust of God. American pastor uh, Rick Warren, uh, who's son tragically committed suicide a few years ago says this you don't know god is all you need until god is all you've got you don't know god is all you need until god is all you've got so how do we live life well by trusting in god which leads to contentment which we see in verses 9 to 11 of our passage. Verse 9 starts with the word, therefore, which, which means what comes next is the result of trusting in God. It says this, therefore, verse 9, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Now, that, that's the perfect description of contentment, isn't it? Being glad, rejoicing, and, and resting secure. And it comes from trusting in the Lord. So, how do you know if you're trusting in the Lord? Well, you're content even when your circumstances are difficult. That's one telltale sign. You, you find joy in the Lord even when work is overwhelmingly difficult or family life is hard or health problems don't seem to improve or you're feeling lonely or isolated or, or facing an uncertain future. You can tell you're trusting in God when you're content and have joy in the Lord even in the midst of hard times. I really do think that's how you can tell. But this contentment isn't just limited to this life, but it continues into the life to come. In verse uh, 10 and 11, David finishes the psalm by saying, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And David here describes this way of trusting in God and being content as the path of life in these verses. I love that phrase, the path of life. Not just because it's the best way to live life in the present, but also because it, it leads, it's a path, it leads to God's presence and to eternal life. One commentator um, uh, puts it like this when he's talking about this verse. Which, again, I love this, this, this quote. He says, the refugee of verse one, okay, so verse one of this passage talks about being a refuge, taking refuge, the refugee of verse one finds himself an heir 
and his inheritance is beyond all imagining and all exploring. It's awesome, isn't it? Speaks of us there. Absolutely awesome. And you know, the thing, the thing about refugees is they're helpless. They're completely dependent on the mercy of others. We've all seen the, the heartbreaking clips on TV a few years ago, of people trying desperately across the Mediterranean on boats that were completely unsafe. You know, most of us can't even begin to imagine what that's like. Leaving your home with just the clothes on your back, you know, you've got nothing. You're completely helpless. Floating in the middle of a rough sea in a dinghy that could sink at any moment. But, but the reality is, spiritually, that's what we were like before God rescued us. Utterly helpless in our sin. And, you know, sometimes I think that because that experience of being a refugee is so far removed from our experience as, you know, kind of British Western people, that's perhaps why we often find it a challenge to fully trust in God. You know, most of us haven't had to experience what it's like physically to be a refugee, but that's definitely what we are spiritually. But God rescues us. He forgives us. He restores us and makes us heirs, heirs to a wonderful inheritance. Isn't that fantastic? I'm assuming if we were all meeting in person, everyone would say amen right now. So feel free to do that at home. You're welcome to. I can't hear you, but I trust you're doing it. That's fantastic, isn't it? Great news. So, so let's rejoice that Jesus doesn't treat us like a lot of countries in the world treat refugees today, you know, doing everything possible to keep them away. No, Jesus says, come, come, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. Let's rejoice because of what he did at the cross. Everyone who comes to him receives abundant mercy, forgiveness of their sins, and gets to become a child of God. That's what the good news is all about. So how do we live life well? We do it by trusting in God, trusting in him when, when we're in trouble, trusting in him for provision, keeping our eyes fixed on him. And that leads in turn to contentment, to, to joy, gladness, and rest. Not just now, but forevermore. Because as believers, we have a great hope. One day we're going to go and be with our Lord and be in his presence forever, which is going to be amazing. And I tell you what, I for one, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. I'm finished. I'm going to pray and then we're going to hand back over to Clive. He's going to lead us in worship again. Lord, you're amazing. Lord, you're great. You're awesome. We worship you. Lord, I just pray that you will help us to trust you more, to grow in our trust of you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we would, we would see you so clearly. We would fix our eyes on you and see you so clearly. And our trust in you would grow and grow and grow. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus, what he did there, dying on that cross for our sins so that we could be free, so we could be redeemed, so that we could have your spirit in us, Lord, so that we could one day go be with you in heaven, Lord. You're great. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. Amen.